0: Bird into center. Springer says he's got it. The Houston Astros win the
1: You're listening to the Weekly Brew with Austin Stepp, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be
2: informed. Welcome to episode 113 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and the Houston Astros are heading to the World Series after dropping the New York Yankees in the Best of Seven Series here on Saturday in Houston. And of course, uh, Charlie Morton and Lance McCullers were just... Phenomenal from the mound, uh, throwing nine shutout innings against the the Baby Bombers, who had uh, offensively uh, done pretty well uh, when the series shifted to New York, uh, but couldn't find their bats thanks to a stellar pitching performance from the Astros in Game 7, and also Justin Verlander doing what he does best in Game 6 by shutting down uh, the Yankees, and it's a great time here in Houston. Uh, The the Astros are heading the World Series for the second time. They're actually the first Major League Baseball franchise to win both the American League pennant and the National League pennant. And they're set to square off against the National League champions, the Los Angeles Dodgers, on Tuesday night. And, of course, that matchup will be Clayton Kershaw, multiple-time Cy Young winner, taking on Dallas Keuchel, who has not pitched since Game 5 in New York. And, of course, he was hit a little bit harder uh, than typical Uh, But we are going to have a a great World Series preview for you, thanks to Lance Berkman. Uh, Lance joined us on episode 112 to preview the American League Championship Series, so we thought it'd be fun to have him back on the show to preview uh, the Fall Classic and what we can expect from that, but... uh, I don't want to give you too much of my analysis because I think Lance provides uh, better analysis and better insight into what it takes to win the World Series his expectations, how AJ Hinch is going to manage the game it's a, it's about a 25 minute interview and I think you all are going to enjoy it uh, but if you want to follow our work uh, first off, I would suggest that you follow Hunter Atkins35 and then Fogel said what, uh, they're going to be providing great insight and great coverage uh, throughout the World Series in the fall Classic. also you can follow Jake M. Kaplan, who is a guy that uh, is the beat reporter for the Houston Astros, and we've had on the show several times uh, this past season, uh, great follow as well. Um, but, but also, I, I want to make sure that you follow our social media channels. You can just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We post great content there uh, each week. Also, you can subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. Uh, but as I mentioned uh, just a few moments ago, we've got a great interview with Lance Berkman on deck. So it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew for our World Series preview is a guy who needs no introduction, and that's Lance Berkman. And, and Lance, thanks again for joining us uh, this week on the podcast. And uh, wow, this weekend, Game 6, Game 7, it was, it was phenomenal time for Houston Astros fans.
0: Yeah, thanks, Austin. Thanks for having me on. And it, it really is exciting um, to be a, an Astro fan. And uh, as we may have discussed before, I don't remember if I've said it in this venue or not, but uh, Houston generally is a, is a football town, but when the baseball team is as good as this team is, and when uh, they're they're making a deep run in the postseason, it's hard to beat. Uh, the, the the Astro fans for their enthusiasm, for their excitement, for the energy that they bring to the ballpark. It's just a wonderful place to play.
2: I think it kind of helped out this week with it being a bye week for the Texans. I mean, you had nearly 10 people 10 million people watch the game on Fox Sports this weekend. And I, I kind of want to ask you this just to start off with, uh, you know, the last time the Astros made the World Series was in 2005. I was in college at Baylor, so I wasn't living here in Houston at the time. You were here for both. I'm kind of curious. It seems to me that the reaction and the excitement from fans here in the city right now in 2017 it's almost escalated a little bit since 2005. What is your take and perspective on that?
0: Well, I think there's, there's a lot that's changed since then. I think it was a very exciting time back then. I remember feeling like the city was really into it, that they were really behind us. But, I mean, I think now there's more awareness in terms of the social media things that have advanced from 2005 until now. And, you know, I think um, you have... Uh, the the hurricane plays a role in that, where the, the the city of Houston has been on such an emotional roller coaster. Uh, emotions are are kind of raw, and tensions uh, were high there at, at, in the wake of that hurricane. And it's something that I think the fans have have latched onto. And so there may be a little bit more um, you know riding on this particular postseason run in terms of what it means for the the people in the city of Houston. But uh, I, I wouldn't. You know, and you could be right. I, I don't know, but I, I my memory, my recollection is that it's pretty comparable in terms of the excitement level in terms of how the fans are into it. And in terms of how the Astros uh, captivated the city,
2: yeah. And like I said, I was in college at the time. I was in Waco. It was a little bit different uh, environment in 2005, but uh, just a great time to uh, be in the city of Houston right now. And I, I kind of want to go back to the Yankees series before we move on to the, you know, the World Series, the Fall Classic. Uh, this was a series very reminiscent to me of 2004 and the NLCS. You know, the home team winning every single game. I mean, w- when you're a player, what kind of emotion and toll does that take on you? You know, for the Astros this year, losing three straight games in New York and having to come back home. I mean, uh, Hunter tells me via text that you were very confident the Astros were going to win the series. Why did you have that confidence despite losing three in New York?
0: Well, just I know how – I know what that place is like. I mean, I know I know what both places are like. Uh, I know that uh, when they're in the playoffs – playing at Yankee Stadium is is a really tough thing to do, and uh, guys get uncomfortable, and there's a lot of pressure, and uh, it's not conducive for your best performance. But I also know what it feels like to come back home and to get back in front of the home crowd in Minute Maid Park where it's loud and uh, where you have everything kind of working for you. And so I I remember the feeling that the team in 04 had, like we couldn't be beaten at home. Like we were just not going to lose a game at Minute Maid Park, and we really – uh, we really believe that, and uh, it proved to be true for the most part. So I feel like this group has a similar attitude about their home field, and I expect this series to play out much the same way. I think the home field advantage is going to be big. Um, you know, I, I think the Astros are are going to be, no matter what happens in L.A., I think they're going to be uh, in good shape uh, coming back because I think they have such a, such a good feel right now going at home.
2: Does that kind of help you as a team, knowing that you, you, you had that winning streak you know where you were down three two winning two straight games you have that momentum does that going to help you going into game on Tuesday night
0: oh no no question about it I I think you don't when you when you have that good feeling going at home um you don't there's not as much of a you don't feel as much pressure I guess to to win on the road I think you feel like if you go one if you split with them at their place well then you've really put yourself in a great position to win the series and so uh i you know the, the, i guess it can it can cut both ways because we we felt that way in 05 as well and we lost the first two games very close games in uh, chicago to start the world series and we came home and i just remember feeling like man you know this is uh we're, we're fixing to, to win two or three games here and the environment was different it was weird they they made us open the roof uh, I, th- I felt like that they the same fans that had been there for the LCS weren't able to make it to the World Series because the ticket prices were so high and corporations ended up buying a lot of the tickets. It just it was a completely different atmosphere, a lot more staid, laid back kind of uh, you know more of a corporate feel than it was in the in the preceding series. And we ended up losing a 14 inning game in the first uh, game back. We had a great chance to win that game, didn't happen. And when that happened, it kind of broke the spell. And uh, the White Sox were able to beat us in in that game game four and uh, and sweep us like that. So anything can happen, but I do think that this group is has a big advantage whenever they're playing on their home field.
2: And It was interesting because you know last time we spoke, you you had you had told us how there was going going to be at least a player, a pitcher in the series. That was going to step up, you know, that it, it might not be a Justin Verlander or a Dallas Keuchel, you said that it could be a guy like Lance McCullers. And of course, in game seven, uh, Charlie Morton throws, you know, five innings of uh, shutout baseball, and then Lance McCullers comes in his what second relief appearance in the postseason, and throws four shutout innings. I mean, what does it take for, you know, the team to be able to see that to see those guys step up uh, in a moment like that?
0: Well, it just, it's just what it takes. I remember when we won the World Series with the Cardinals in, in 2011, I honestly, one of the things that I learned about that experience was
2: every single guy on the roster, all
0: 25 guys have to make a contribution at some point in order to, uh, to win the World Series. And you look back, even, even the guys that have come off the bench, even though in the American League that doesn't happen nearly as much as it does uh, in the National League, but Carlos Beltran, who hasn't really gotten to play very much, got a huge double, uh, in the game against the Red Sox, or you look at McCullers and his efforts in, uh, out of out of the bullpen, and, uh, you know, Charlie Morton steps up and throws some big innings, or you have Bregman make an unbelievable defensive play to save the, you know, to keep the shutout going last night, and, and just you could go down the list. Even guys that, that aren't hitting necessarily like they have uh, during the course of the regular season are doing things that are making contributions. And so really the the, the way the baseball set up and the postseason is set up, you have to have a really deep roster. You have to have contributions from all 25 guys if you're going to win the World Series. And so far the Astros have gotten that. You,
2: you said that guys did step up on game seven. Of course you saw McCann, what he did in game six, game seven. Reddick, you know, jumped out of his over 22 streak in game seven. And that kind of, you know, makes me kind of want to ask you this question in, in terms of hitters that are in slumps you know it's, it's you know whether it's over for 22 over for 30 over for 15 does that kind of change the way that you approach an at bat do you kind of shift more from guessing at a pitch to reacting to a pitch or, or what is the mentality of a hitter during a slump because we kind of saw that with the Astros especially you know the first five games of the series
0: yeah, it's not a good place to be. You know, you just you, you have no confidence. It's it's like you're you're caught between what I call between pitches. In other words, you're you know you're late on the fastballs and you're out in front of the breaking balls. And it seems like when you do have a decent at bat and you hit a ball hard, it goes right to somebody. And uh, so it it, it certainly um, you know. It's tough. I mean, it's that's why I feel like baseball players. To be a good baseball player, you have to be mentally tougher than just about any other occupation because there's so much failure. I mean, your 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 whole uh, career is is basically how well do you overcome failure and overcome adversity and and whenever you're in a slump, man, it just it's it's tough. Um, but I will say this: in the postseason. It's a lot different. The mentality of a slump in the postseason is is certainly not that as it is in the regular season. And and that is like in the postseason, all you care about is did we win the game. Like that's you're not worried about being 0 for 20. You're worried about you know are we advancing? Are we winning? Uh, and and people will say, well, why isn't it that way during the regular season? But I can tell you from experience, that's just not the way guys look at it. You know the regular season. Yes, you want to win the games, but you're certainly uh, more, I think, um, uh, self-focused during the course of the regular season. And the, the beauty of the po- of postseason baseball, it, it kind of harkens back to your amateur days or college days, where you're truly playing for the team. You're truly playing for the, you know, for the name on the the front of the jersey and not the name on the back. Whereas that's not always the case during the regular season. So it certainly helps uh, guys that are not Swinging the bat well to be in a situation where they know that hey one at bat could win us this game and one game could win us this series and uh, you know they have a chance to be a hero so it, it certainly uh, it makes being in a slump a lot easier. Uh, when you know that hey anything can happen anytime i could be the hero and and really what's important is that's winning this game and nothing else matters
2: for you 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 not really go through a ton of slumps i mean your career batting average was uh 293 i believe uh, it, when when you were kind of in th- those slumps i mean i mean you saw guys like Bijou and Bagwell during the postseason kind of struggle at times what do they do to kind of get out of that is it is it just the playoff vibe where it's it's more pressing in those situations
0: yeah i think you do i think you you end up losing your strike zone discipline and you're trying to, you know, you want it so badly that you swing at bad pitches or you're not aggressive on pitches you should be aggressive on. So, uh, like I say, it's a real mental battle to try to, to maintain uh, an even keel. That's why I think when, you, when you're when talking about clutch hitters, people say there's no such thing as clutch hitting. And that, that may be true in terms of, um, you know, you can't expect a guy that's a 270 career hitter to suddenly be a 350 hitter in big situations in the postseason, but what you can't ask him to do is be a 270 hitter. And so, if you're a career, let's just say 293 hitter in the regular season, well, you ought to hit 293 or better in the postseason. And if you do that, then you know people are going to think you're you're a clutch hitter. Uh, you can't really ask a guy to hit higher than his career average in uh, in some of the biggest games he'll ever play in. And I think what you end up seeing. Uh, Why why the the clutch hitter phenomenon exists is because there's so many guys that don't hit up to their potential in the postseason for whatever reason, whether it's because they're nervous or because of uh, just some bad breaks or whatever the cause may be. They you know let's say they're a 270 career hitter and they'll hit 210 during the playoffs. And so the guys that are performing at, at a normal level are the guys that stand out as your quote unquote clutch players.
2: Yeah, a guy that I think is kind of performing at an above-normal level in the postseason. At least to me, it seems like it's Justin Verlander, and you know that that acquisition. Uh, bringing him right before the, the the final trade deadline, August 31st, was just a, a clutch move for the organization. And it, it's shown the value since he's been in the postseason here in Houston. Of course, he's going to start game two in Los Angeles. And uh, he was the American League uh, Championship Series MVP. The last Astros pitcher to do that was Roy Oswalt, a guy that you played with. When you have a guy like that taking the mound in any game whether it's you know uh coming in in a relief appearance or or making the start how much confidence does that give you as a hitter to see him going out there striking out guys tossing up zeros on the scoreboard
0: well you have to have a a, a kind of a stopper if you will or a guy that is the go-to guy that you know when he's on the mound you're gonna have a great chance to win the game uh that 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 you really – you'd be hard-pressed to find that a World Series winning or even a team that made the World Series that didn't have that guy on their roster. And, you know, whether it be a Corey Kluber or whether it be a John Lester with the Cubs or, you know, just you can go down the list of guys that – or a list of teams that have participated, and you're always going to find those guys that are dominant, that are – Uh, you're able to count on them for good innings, and and Justin's been that. And I think Dallas has been that, too. I mean, I think Dallas has been a tremendous postseason performer for the Astros historically. Um, Maybe the one start this year in New York notwithstanding, but, I mean, the the Astros kind of have a luxury because they have two guys that you look at and say, man, when those guys are on the mound, it's going to be really tough to beat them. And the last time I remember a situation like that, of course, I'm sure there has been – uh, situations like that since since the Diamondbacks were running Schilling and uh, Randy Johnson at you. Uh, I'm, I'm probably forgetting a whole swath of baseball history, but those two guys jump out as the most comparable to me in terms of two number one starters on the on World Series contending team.
2: And speaking of number one starters, I mean, the, the LA Dodgers. I mean, they are just loaded with Clayton Kershaw multiple times, Cy Young winner, you Darvish, Rich Hill having a great year. Uh, how do you think the Astros match up against those arms heading to L.A.?
0: Well, I mean, I think the Astros have the best team in the game. I really do. I, I mean, that was another reason I was confident that the Astros are going to beat the Yankees in that series, even though they were down 3-2. to two. Uh, Normally, the, your talent tells, and, and I think the Astros have a, a deeper roster top to bottom. Um, although, you know, obviously, the Dodgers have a great team, and they they won over 100 games, and they've got a, a very good pitching staff, as you mentioned. They have a good solid bullpen. Their lineup is good. Uh, I don't think their lineup is as deep as the Astros' lineup is, uh, and I think that's going to be the difference in this series.
2: You, you're a guy that played in both leagues, American League, National League. How much does the DH actually play a factor in the World Series?
0: It'll matter. I mean, there's no doubt, but it won't matter as much in this World Series because I feel like the Dodgers do have guys, whether it be an Andre Ethier, uh, you know, or somebody that they can run out there as the DH that gives them a legit hitter in the American League ballparks. Usually, I feel like the, you know, the National League teams are at a disadvantage because they're built, you know, they don't have that extra bopper that, that most American League teams have uh, on their roster, and they're you know they're usually filling that with a bench guy that may be just a little lesser quality than an American League DH. But I don't think the Dodgers are in that position, so I don't think you're going to see uh, nearly the drop off. Uh, that you would, or do you, maybe drop-off's not the right word, but I don't think it's going to affect the Dodgers nearly like it would uh, uh, some National League teams, or I would even go to say most National League teams. And then the flip side of that is, you know, the Astros going to lose a ton when they go and play in a National League ballpark and the pitcher has to hit. I don't think they will. I think their lineup is, uh, is very strong, um, whether they're playing a National League style of baseball or the American League style.
2: In terms of managing a game, how does that, you know, for A.J. Hench, how do you adjust and kind of manage in those situations? Because, you know, we don't see double switches in the American League. That's something that we're probably going to see a few times uh, when the Astros head to Los Angeles. How do you manage and approach a game when you're managing you know, against National League teams?
0: Well, that's a great question. And I think that's something that people will not necessarily think about, but I do think it's a factor because. Um, that can get you in trouble, you know, not being familiar with the National League style in terms of when to double switch versus when to pinch it straight up. And uh, I think A.J. and and Alex will – Cora, his bench coach, will spend uh, some time trying to sort through that in those situations. And the good good news is A.J. is brilliant. He's very, very smart, and he's not going to get caught unawares. But it is something that even a smart guy – uh, that's not used to doing it. Uh, there, there may come a time or a situation where you know he's forced to make a decision, and and you know that that could possibly be a factor because it is different. I mean, you have to uh, keep that in mind as you're as you're approaching a National League game versus an American League game.
2: Do you think that sort of gives AJ an advantage since he did coach you know the Arizona Diamondbacks several years
0: ago? Yeah, I do. I think his experience is. I, I think really more than the double switching uh, is the strategy that comes into play where let's say you're in a situation where, man, you know, you got a pitcher in the ball game that you'd like to get another inning out of. and But, but his time's coming up to bat when you have a chance to score some runs and either get back in a ball game or extend your lead. And then you say, well, you know, are we going to pull this guy and go to our bullpen? But in the National League game, the bullpen comes into play a little bit more because, um, you know, the, the pitchers, you, you, you may be forced into a situation where you'd rather have a, a, a hitter hitting than a pitcher, and you've got to get the guy out of the game a little bit sooner than you wanted to. Uh, and and trying to balance that is going to be, I mean, those are just decisions that, that those guys get paid a lot of money to make. And, and uh, I do think you see more of that kind of thing uh, in the National League than you do the American League.
2: Now, before we jump into predictions, I kind of want to get the mentality of heading into the World Series. You went to the World Series twice—once with the Astros, you won it with the Cardinals. How different is it from the ALCS or the NLCS, or just just preparing from that? You know, the the first level games to going on the big stage, the Fall Classic, the only show in town. Does as a player, does that sort of? Do you have to change your mindset, or is it just business as usual?
0: No, I mean, you you try not to change your mindset, but the reality of the situation is the terror goes up by a 10X factor. I mean, it's like, you know, you thought you were in in the Greece in the ALCS, but then all of a sudden you look up and you're, oh, my gosh, we're in the World Series, you know, and it's hard not to get overawed by that, and that's why it's important to either have a bunch of young kids that are dumb and don't know any better or a bunch of veterans (laughs) that have been there, you know, and and – and have, have done that. And that are a little bit more comfortable playing in those big high leverage type situations. So the Astros have a great mix. Uh, I think they have guys that have experience. I'm not sure they have anybody on their roster that's ever won a world series, but um, they've got guys that have certainly played in world series. And I think um, they'll be up to the task. I feel like this Astro team is not going to shrink back from the big stage, but it is a factor to deal with it. It's certainly, uh what they, what they thought they've experienced to this point is going to go up uh, big time when they, when they get into that World Series. But the, the, the same is true of the, for the Dodgers. I mean, they're, they're in the same situation. I don't know that there's anybody on that team I'm trying to think. I mean, I know Dave Roberts won a World Series ring with the Boston Red Sox and the famous stolen base and, and all that in, in 2004. But, um, you know, outside of their, their manager, I don't know if there's another guy on that team that's won a World Series and uh, so they're going to be in the same boat. And it's just a matter of who can uh, calm down and, and perform like they uh, – and like you said, not changing your mentality, but really you know, being able to bear down the focus and, and execute when you've got to.
2: And with a young team like the Astros, how much has this world experience helped them moving forward You know, uh, with that nucleus still under club control through at least 2019?
0: Well, it'll be great. I mean, the Astros are going to be good for a long time. I mean, that this is – um, of course you know it's one of those deals you look at the nationals and they've got a great team and they had a good young core and they had right. heck they right. shut strasburg down because they were thinking well we're going to be there for the next 50 years and uh you can't you don't ever want to take this for granted you don't ever take this opportunity for granted but uh, on paper anyway the astros are set up for success over the long haul and i do think that they're in good hands i think jeff lunow and his staff are some of the smartest people in the game and i think they've uh proven that with the way they've resurrected this franchise with the skill uh that they've put this team together with and um you know you have to get some breaks too you gotta you gotta kind of get lucky is probably the wrong word but you gotta you gotta be in the right place at the right time to make some things happen uh you gotta be in a position to make a trade for a guy like a Verlander. um so I, i do think that if you're an astros fan this could be just the beginning or the, the, the opening of a, a dynastic type window.
2: I like that word, dynastic type window. Let's let's hope that uh, that, that comes to fruition. But uh, Lance, when you're looking at this series, uh, who are your X factors? Whether it's the Dodgers or Astros, who who is going to make the difference in this series?
0: Man, that's a I mean that is a great question. I I look for the Astros. I look at guys that like like we just talked about, like a Morton, a Lance McCullers. Um, you know, the guys that are going to be pitching kind of behind the two horses, you're going to have to get some quality innings out of those guys if you're going to make hay in the series, I feel like. Because I, I just I, – I, I, even though the, the new deal with the bullpens, we talked about that a little bit last time I was on here, you still – I mean, starting pitching is key. I mean, you really cannot afford in a seven-game series to overuse your bullpen to overexpose guys. And I think the Astros' bullpen, if they have an Achilles heel, that might be it. Not that, again, you know, if there's any of those guys listening to this, not that the guys aren't capable. It's just that they haven't been as consistent as you'd like to see uh, coming down the stretch and, and in the first part of the playoffs. So you really need to get some good starts out of the guys that you are not that are not named Keichel and Verlander. And uh, so that's going to be a key for the Astros. And as far as the Dodgers go, I don't really know the – you know, their team. I, I do think getting Seager back, which I saw today that they may be getting him back in the lineup uh, and whether he will be a hundred percent or whether his timing will be off a little bit after the layoff. I don't know, but I do think that having him back in there could make a big difference for that team. Uh, I think that the guy that to me, it's not really a sleeper pick or anything, but the guy that has to pitch well is Clayton. And if, if, if Clayton doesn't pitch well, then the Dodgers are in trouble. Uh, he's really got to pitch like an ace like he does uh, during the regular season like he did his last outing it, uh, against the Cubs. And if he throws that kind of ball, the, the Dodgers are going to be tough.
2: Yeah, Clayton Kershaw this year, 18-4 and four with a 2.31 ERA, and he's going against Dallas Keuchel on Tuesday night in Game 1 of the World Series, which you can watch on Fox. Lance, if you're making predictions for the World Series, who wins it?
0: Well, again, I'm not a homer, uh, although I do love the Astros, but I'm going to go with them because I I believe in my heart that they're the best team in the game. Uh, I've had a chance to – I think on paper they're the best team in the game, and I think that the the little that I've got to interact with the players, I've got to see behind the scenes a little bit. They have a great clubhouse. They have great chemistry. Those guys really love each other. They play for each other. They pull for each other. uh, And in professional sports nowadays, it's kind of a rare thing uh, and they, they just kind of have the it factor. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Astros.
2: How many games? I'm,
0: it's going to take six or seven. I, I think I'm going to go ahead and say seven games.
2: I think it's going to go to seven. So if you're listening, Astros fans, book your flights to Los Angeles for Game 7 of the World Series. Uh, I believe that's November 1st. Uh, Astros are going to win it, according to Lance Berkman. We hope that prediction comes true. But uh, Lance, we definitely appreciate you for taking the time and joining us on the, the World Series preview. It's always a blast to have you on the podcast.
0: Thanks, Austin. Thanks for having me.
2: Closing time. And and what you just heard was a uh, a great interview from uh, Lance Berkman. And we thank Lance for joining us for our uh, World Series preview on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, joining me now, actually, at Kirby Ice House in uh, Houston is uh, Jeremy Paxton. And and Jeremy, it was such great weather here in Houston. It's like, what, 68, 70 degrees here on a, a beautiful night. So we figured it'd be best to actually grab some brews and podcast and just talk a little baseball, talk a little bit of football. How's it going, man? What did you think of the Berkman interview?
1: I thought it was a fantastic interview. Uh, very enlightening for the baseball illiterate, such as myself. Um, a bunch of bunch of questions that I might otherwise ask you or some other baseball um Expert, uh, we were,
2: were, Derek Fogle, Hunter Atkins. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, I I was wasn't going to speak to those who aren't here, but um, but yeah, it, it was it was especially illuminating for a veteran to, to give that kind of uh, insight into the game, um, especially you know for like I, I had no idea about the rules that come into play in the World Series. Yeah, the, like, the DH. Yeah, the yeah, DH right. rule, right? So, and just kind of how the Astros are slated, I feel like to do really well, and I I feel like. You know, if you look kind of looking back in the past, like last time, it seems that things are just going a lot better for the team than our last World
2: Series run in two thousand five. Well, and I, I, I think like the city, so it's a little bit different because both you and I were in college. The last time the Astros won the World Series, I was a freshman. You were a sophomore at Baylor. Uh, we are both here in the city now. We're able to experience this excitement, and the city has just rallied around the Astros. You know, since Hurricane Harvey, I, I mean, you can kind of tell just being in downtown the vibe the the spirit after the Astros games you know when they get the win and just i don't know to me it's it, it's a really cool thing to experience right now
1: oh it's a fantastic thing to experience and not only that but the but the city's really rallied around individual players i mean when you when you think about it i mean the, I literally uh, love the Justin the love Berlander. the the <laughs> absolutely undying unconditional love that's being poured out for Justin Verlander and Jose Altuve respectively. Yeah, absolutely. Um incredible. No, it's it, it's really cool to see people who um who might not otherwise be into baseball, all of a sudden jump on this bandwagon, such as myself.
2: Hey, well, welcome to the bandwagon. It's <laughs> never too late to join. It's, uh, it's, it's really comfy yeah, up here. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So as you're as you're listening to this podcast, uh, Astros are squaring off against the Los Angeles Dodgers Tuesday night. Uh, Dallas Keiko going against Clayton Kershaw. Powerful lefty. He's Won multiple Cy Youngs. Uh, I'm kind of curious. I, I, I really feel like the Dodgers are more equipped to win this series because of starting pitching. I think they have better starting pitching. I think they have a more I think they have more depth in their bullpen than the Astros do. We were all wrong when we predicted the Indians were going to beat all the wrong. Yankees. Yes, thank you. I was the, We thought was the Astros were going to lose to the Indians. You the lone voice of reason. The lone voice of reason. To be fair, <laughs> the non-expert. To be fair, none of us none of us thought that the Yankees were going to win the American League Division Series. None of us. You're the only person that predicted a World Series. Do you still believe in that prediction?
1: I do. I do, in fact. Well, maybe we can run the tape. But uh, making it to the World Series, I think, was my prediction. I could be wrong. But um, no, I, I think I think the Astros are equipped. And I, I, I agree with with Berkman. I mean, I I, I think, though, I, I'm hoping for a sweep. I'm hoping for four I games. Sweep. Sweep. I would love a sweep Especially
2: after being swept in 2005 against the that White would Sox.
1: be that would be poetic justice right. for me. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think um, I mean, realistically, coming away, splitting the first couple of games would be amazing. And then taking the rest here at home in Houston would be ideal I think and and you know for me I, I think more realistic than uh, than a complete sweep but um yeah I I I did not expect the Yankees to do as well as they did I I, I, sort, I sort of got a little scared there uh, seeing us lose three straight oh games my in Yankee Stadium and well it was really interesting it, in the it interview it seemed
2: like it was going to be Houston sports all over again.
1: Right. Well, it was
2: it, like it, it, we're used to heartbreak.
1: You could Google Astros collapse, and you had all of these articles written by snarky East Coast sports exactly. writers that were coming out like, oh, well, here, you know, here come the Yankees. But there
2: was a tweet that I saw. I think it was, um, I think it was like Clutch fans or some Rockets forum that said, you know, the last time a New York team had a 3 2 lead heading back to the city in a championship series was back in 1994. You know that series? It was a series where the Knicks were up three two, heading back to Houston, and Kareem, not Kareem Aladjian, <laughs> <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar,
1: really, <laughs> Akeem
2: Aladjian, and the Rockets win Game Six, Game Seven to win their first NBA title. Astros do a similar type feat with Justin Verlander, Charlie Morton, and Lance McCullers. It was so cool to experience that on Saturday night. I, you know, I was not at the game Game Seven. I, I really wish that I was. I couldn't find anyone that wanted to pay two hundred dollars to go to a game. Uh, so I watched at uh, a local bar here in, in in Houston, but just the excitement. I mean, I, I don't know. I got a little misty-eyed.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool. I mean, I, I watched the game as well. You know, I was in Waco at Baylor Homecoming, uh, where you should have been. But we'll talk about that. In yeah, a second. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But anyways, no, I, I mean to be to be in this city during one of these playoff games, I, I'm 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 absolutely ecstatic. Uh, of course, I'll be in down, the downtown area while the game's going on. I will be at the game because I can't. Um, now, the,
2: you're talking specifically about Games 3, 4, and 5, which will yes. be taking place here in Houston Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so you'll Absolutely. be downtown watching. Are you going to go to a bar and watch? Are you just going to kind of soak it all in from a watch party, or, or what's your setup going to be like?
1: Um, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I might just, um, I think I'm going to post up at probably a bar real close to the park and just kind of listen first and then watch what's going on <laughs> on TV, so... Um, I, I'm, but I'm absolutely pumped to be here for those three games, and uh, I'm gonna get as close as I can. I obviously I can't just wander in to the park like you usually do without a ticket. But um, why not? What's stopping you? Uh, probably the security. Yeah, so security's maybe trying a little to bit. Sneak it, see what happens. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, with tickets as pricey as they are, you would assume. Yeah, tickets
2: are insane. If you're not familiar. right, it was,
1: I was to say, Let's let's talk about that yeah, a little if, bit. If, the if secondary you, market. If you're not
2: familiar, so first off, for the American League Championships or the American League Division Series, I bought tickets through a presale got them for I think they were like 75 bucks sitting in the outfield so not bad I mean not great prices but for playoffs that's yeah, ex- yeah. it's expected for the second round um I was so confident that the Indians were going to win the series that I assumed that that the time that the Astros would host the Indians would be when I was in Chicago so I didn't I didn't buy tickets in the pre-sale lo and behold Yankees win uh, I have to buy tickets on StubHub, and so I think I paid like one fifty a pop for tickets. Again, not terrible, right? Uh, World Series presale. I had a presale code for last Thursday. Tickets went on sale at ten a.m. Tickets for Alfield, I think, were two twenty-five, two thirty, somewhere in that range. I tried to buy them, but Jeremy, I could not buy them. You know why? Because I was in Indiana geoblocked. for work, and I was geo blocked. Geo-blocked. So now those tickets on StubHub are going for more than a thousand dollars a pop. You that know what is insane? That
1: happened to me the last time I wanted to watch Game of Thrones overseas. <laughs> Let me tell you how horrible <laughs> that was. No, well, I, 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 I did. Deal. I had to get. I a VPN. could have just bought
2: the World Series tickets for two hundred a pop, sold them on StubHub, and just paid for this grease trip that we're all going on here in a few weeks. That's a
1: that would have been amazing. See, I, I thought that would have been a lot of good... Me, me and seat. my ignorance. I, I, I believed that Astros tickets that the sorry the World Series tickets were going for that that was their face value. No, that those exorbitant prices. It's it's, you it's, know? it's
2: about a five times markup. Oh yeah, it's insane. So um, keep in mind two twenty five. If you get, if you want to pay two twenty five for seats during a regular season baseball game, you are sitting like almost Diamond Club. Essentially, you you have the best seats in the house. That price point just for face value we'll get you like nosebleed seats right it, it's insane my I, I had a friend text me on saturday night he sent me a screenshot of two diamond club tickets that were available on stubhub for game 3 of the world series on friday night and he sent me the caption do you want to go to the game or do you want to buy a new suv the two tickets cost together 47000 dollars buy a
1: new suv or pay off your student debt <laughs> take your pick I yeah. mean that is insane. Now, I, okay, I mean, or if you're already in debt, why not just add another twenty thousand, right? In, in some scenario, obviously, I'm going to want to take the money, but in, in some scenario where I have World Series tickets, I don't really feel like I can appreciate the experience like a true fan would, and so I would be much more willing to sell them off. because if,
2: if, so if I, you just want to be at like a watch party to get that atmosphere, yes, and that,
1: absolutely. And right. I feel like I also on a um, on a completely different level, I would bring bad juju to the game for the Astros. I'm I'm pretty confident. The last couple of games I've gone to, we've lost. I don't know.
2: I went to a uh, a game with you last year, and I think it was uh, Oakland and the Astros, and I think they wanted a walk off. Oh, did they? I okay, think, I, I think I'm, it was a walk off. Really, run. I'm
1: really reaching for reasons. I don't know. To but just we, we had we had a lot of
2: drinks that night, and so I don't know if I don't know. <laughs> if <laughs> if <laughs> memories are a little bit blurry, a little a little hazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but no, I I. I would, I would absolutely love the opportunity to watch the Astros play, but yeah, um, I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be sitting, sitting pretty
2: easy at, at a bar, posted up, drinks. absolutely with, few with, with, with the. I, I, with the crowd. I like that. You know, actually, this is kind of weird uh, because this is the first time that we've actually podcasted uh, at a remote location, and I think we should kind of do this more often. I kind of, I kind of like this vibe of. Uh, you know, getting together, just holding the microphone, talking—it's a little less formal than the studio. It's less formal, and it's so
1: weird. There's like ten guys all over there staring at us, like asking themselves, "What are those big black things in front of their faces?"
2: <laughs> well, little they know, we have more than forty thousand of you listening right now, so uh, we definitely appreciate that. But Jeremy, uh, we could not—I—I uh, I, I was not in Waco this weekend for homecoming because I wanted to be here for Game Seven in uh, and, and, and the city. Uh, you were in Waco. Of course, the Bears lose, go 0-7 on the season. They are not bowl eligible for the first time since, what, 2010? Uh, oh, yeah, easy. Since
1: the uh, since before... It was like 2009, I think. Yeah. At least, yeah. Oh, well, no, 2010. 2010.
2: Because uh, I was...
1: The Texas Bowl was their first bowl berth in and I don't know how dec- many years. That was December 2010. Yeah, that was the That's first right. one
2: since the Alamo Bowl in like 1994. That's right. So yeah. it's, 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 it's a long drought. Uh, the Bears didn't look great to start the game but uh, they made a change and the third, what was it, late third quarter brought in true freshman Charlie Brewer at quarterback Mm -hmm. to replace Zach Smith he almost pulled off a miraculous comeback. I mean, yeah. the Bears went what on a twenty-three nothing run or something like that. It was, it was a cr- yeah. It was I
1: think it was uh, twenty-one unanswered points or something something in that neighborhood. So, something reminiscent to me yeah. the TCU
2: fourth quarter with Bryce Petty. Oh,
1: it was, it was crazy. And what what, I, what was so infuriating I think as a Baylor fan is a couple of games ago they burned Charlie Brewer's red shirt on essentially this like right. bizarre. And you're not sure why that happened. Yeah, we we're, like, we, we were like all fans. like, wait, what? What are you doing? And so it makes sense. I mean, Charlie Brewer was always going to play some this season. Um, he is a dual threat quarterback in the truest sense of the term. Uh, He's mobile on his feet in a way that Zach Smith is not. He's accurate. Um, And he gave a momentum to the offense that they had not had really in that entire game. If they had played in that second half the way that they, um, or if they, if they played uh, in the first half the way they did in the second, we would have beat them by two or three scores. So.
2: But here's the deal. Matt Rule announced Zach Smith as a starter for the game against Texas. I, 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 again, I did not watch any of the game. Read some of the recaps, saw some of the highlights, followed it on Twitter. My focus was squarely on Astros Yankees game seven. If you're Matt Rule, what is your justification for having Zach Smith in that game, starting the game against Texas this weekend? You know, I don't know. I think it's a uh, part of it is probably that's
1: the system he's had so far. And so he's more familiar with the system. He's right. He's more familiar with the system. I mean, Charlie Brewer is untested. He has an awesome half, but who knows how he would be starting out against a rival opponent like that? That's a lot of pressure to put on a true freshman. But then, alternatively, I, I think Zach Smith is kind of—he's the team leader in a sense right now. If you look a, at a sophomore, absolutely, he is—he's kind that of shows the,
2: you how young the team is when a sophomore is your we, team leader. We
1: have seventeen true freshmen that have played this That's so insane. far this year. Yeah, and typically that
2: number is four. We're really—I mean, LSU's
1: played. Tw- true freshmen we're right below below them in terms of of the the amount i I I will
2: say i will say there are a few things that i draw from that one i don't look much into the record this year 0 and 7 that means nothing to me we all knew that this is going to be a down year for baylor uh i look at it as how these guys developed how they fought they've been in every game they've played this year except for oklahoma state you know they were in it with oklahoma they were in it with k-state they were in it on the road at duke they should have won two games against utsa and liberty to start the year uh, very well could have beat West Virginia. I mean, they, they've been competitive in these games. I don't think they're as bad as their 0-7 record says they are. But to me, the bright spot is just like you said. All of these freshmen and sophomores getting valuable playing time. That's going to yeah. pay dividends in the long run, especially if you can have a guy like Brewer get some valuable minutes. Here in the, you know, the, the back half of the season, I don't know, maybe he can compete for the job in the spring. Maybe he wins it in the fall.
1: Yeah, no. I always kind of, I always kind of wonder how that, how that turn, you know, how does that QB battle turn out, right? And then, you know, who, who ends up transferring? Hopefully not, but um, yeah, you, hopefully you, nobody, right? Because <laughs> right, we we've lost like too Abro many team. transfers in the past. Year. Exactly. So, um, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to see what happens the rest of the season. I think though that Rule has a lot of talent to work with going heading into next year. All this experience, all of this kind of trial by fire. And you're right; we have been in every game. Really, you since, say we a lot. Sorry, I say we. My bad. <laughs> Baylor has been in every game, uh, really, especially since Oklahoma. And I, I've been really proud to see them work. Now, obviously, it hasn't come to fruition yet. But I mean, this is going to be a dangerous team next year and potentially in 2019 with more talent coming in.
2: So they have a few games left this season. Of course, Texas this week, the big game against TCU to close the year. Does Baylor win a game this season? And if so, who, it is, who is it against?
1: Um, well, TCU beat Kansas in a shutout,
2: so I think Baylor Kansas is going to be a real barn burner. That uh, game is set for 11 a.m. Two weeks. I guess nobody's surprised. It actually is on TV. So it, if you November want to watch 4th, it, I, believe, I, I do yeah. not recommend watching that game. But if you do watch it, 11 a.m. <laughs> we will. I, I, will, I, will not, I will. I will not. No, I will, I will probably watch it. To be I honest. will. I will be sleeping. Baseball will be over. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean w- that. That's a late sleep in.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's Baylor <laughs> Kansas, so. Fair
2: enough. It's a competitive pillow fight.
1: That's right. Um, no, but I'm actually really looking forward to uh, Baylor, Texas next week. It's going to be. I think it's it's our last shot at a huge upset because I don't think we have a chance against uh, TCU. So, if you
2: had to finish the year one eleven, only one win, would you want that win to come against Kansas, which is a game that you should win, or would you want it to come against TCU? or Texas. I'm going to have to go to TCU every time. So you would take a, a humiliating loss against Kansas and then close the season out with a road win at TCU? Nothing, and I, not I repeat, a bad, nothing not a can bad be
1: Nothing can be more humiliating than losing to Liberty. I think nothing. there are,
2: no, I think I, I don't let that distract you from the fact Texas lost to Kansas last year in football. They—that's—that's d- uh, that's
1: right. It's funny you bring that up. I—I um, I would not like to add Baylor to that list, but I would love to knock TCU off their perch. How
2: about how about Texas for a second? I mean, you see them picking up their fourth loss of the season. Uh, you have players, coach, or players' parents sending out tweets against Tom Herman. I mean. That sounds a little, uh, Is this uh, a lost cause for Harmon <laughs> in year one? That
1: sounds a lot like Texas, actually. Um, you know, you have boosters, parents, all sorts of people that are not the football coach trying to coach the football team. That sounds well, it's
2: crazy to me because Harmon is known as being like an offensive guru, and the defense looks great, right? I mean, the defense shut down USC, they shut down Oklahoma, they shut down Oklahoma State. It's the offense that can't get the job done, and, and that is Herman's specialty. I mean, why, why is that the case? Is, he's got great talent. He's got great athletes. Is it, is it coaching, or what's the situation there? I don't know. For first-year coach, I'm going to give him a pass
1: just based on right. that. But at the same time, I mean, this is Tom Herman. But this is the this same
2: is, team that people were expecting 9 to 10 wins at the beginning of the season.
1: Right. I, I think that that's ridiculous. I think that Texas is overranked um, every year, no matter who the coach is. So I'm going to give Herman a pass. I'm going to say that this is a hiccup. This is his first season. In two seasons, if he's looking a lot like Charlie Strong and a lot less like Tom Herman, then... You should, th- you should prepare for him to be fired if that's the case. Absolutely. He did just buy a
2: $6 million home in Austin. So good for him. Hope is a good investment. Hope, hope it's a good investment. it appreciates by the time he leaves Austin. But I, I, I do want to say one more thing real quick, wrapping up our Baylor conversation. Charlie Brewer, I have not seen him in person play. I did see his game in the state championship as uh, his high school took on my alma mater, the Woodlands High School, this past December. And he just looked like a phenomenal quarterback. You know, throwing the balls, you know, making making like NFL throws. He was very accurate. He was mobile. He was doing it against, granted it's a high school level, he was doing it against arguably one of the best high school teams in the country that year in the Woodlands who came into the game 15-0. They had just beat one of the top-ring teams in the country, and he lit them up. And I remember watching that game and thinking at that point he was committed to Chad Morris and SMU, and I was thinking SMU just got one hell of a quarterback they are very fortunate they got a steal he's a little undersized you know he's not he's not a big guy what is he like five eleven six foot maybe yeah yeah he's he's he, he's like drew Brees type build yeah, size he's, wise
1: he, he's on the smaller side he's not yeah not, he's not like johnny manzel right you know, right
2: he's, he's a little bigger but i knew they got a hell of a quarterback and then about a week or two after the game he decommits commits to Matt rule i thought that was a huge win
1: yeah, I actually I had no idea he was he was committed to Matt Rule. In fact I thought for some reason he was committed before and just kinda stayed with it. No, but no. Yeah there was only one
2: commit and that was Jalen Petrie.
1: That's right, it's incredible. But um no the guy um I'm I'm not gonna throw around like R G three or anything like that, but the, the 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 dynamic that he brought, it didn't matter if the O line broke down, it didn't matter if his receivers were double covered or were out of range, like this guy made a play. So um, to his credit, I mean, the, he it was it was an incredible play. I mean, he, he was he drove he he drove the ball into the end zone like you know three times, and then just missed two point conversion on a really was a bad bad play call. So yeah. I I'm I'm really excited to see what this kid's gonna do in the future.
2: And again, we're not sure if you can hear any of the background noise, but we are at uh, Kirby Ice House here in Houston, Texas. Uh, we heard a few woos, so we're assuming they're either Ric Flair fans or Josh Reddick fans, and uh, of course, you'll be hearing the uh, the woo birds uh in uh game three of the world series as it comes to houston on friday night as the uh hopefully the astros come back with a two nothing lead against the dodgers but uh jeremy it's been uh it, it's been fun getting together doing this outside in a different environment uh i don't know it's fun we had lance berkman on for the second straight episode can, yeah. can anyone else claim that here in houston
1: I don't think so. The only and this is amazing because in your apartment we shut off the air conditioning, so I'm like sweating bullets by the end of our our broadcast. But um, no, this is amazing. Being kind of nice.
2: We hope that you can hear some of the background noise. I know.
1: Being in 58 degree weather, it doing feels this, great. Honestly. This is amazing. You know.
2: You know. I think we should do this again. And you know where I think we should do it. Where? Greece. Oh of course well <laughs> we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna podcast in greece so if we've mentioned it a few times on the show but uh there are nine of us going to greece here in uh middle late november over the thanksgiving holiday and uh i think we're gonna podcast the weekly brew from greece from, from santorini from athens from amsterdam which is not in greece uh but it's gonna be fun f- I, I from a catamaran
1: uh, assuming that i don't caps, that could be fun that i don't capsize the boat with my gelato <laughs> in itself but um no absolutely we should absolutely do it in, do it in greece and uh Damn, because you know college football is still going to be going on we're still, still going to be we a lot can to break it about. out
2: analysis it, it, it should be a great time yeah definitely well jeremy uh it's been fun uh again this has been episode 113 of the weekly brew podcast thanks again to lance berkman for joining us on the, the show to break down the world series between the astros and the dodgers again the fall classic begins tuesday night at seven o'clock on fox again dallas Keiko will be facing G- not Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw <laughs> uh, in game one of the uh, the World Series. And uh, of course, the Dodgers are favorites, but hopefully Houston can bring home uh, the World Series crown uh, here in the next few weeks. But uh, again, if you want to follow our work, just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, you can uh, subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But my co-host this week, Jeremy Paxton, my name is Austin Stanton. We'll see you next week. Austin, I, I literally love you.
1: You've been listening to the Weekly Brew.